Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mindset Go Radio Show. Good to be back here on Thursday, and uh, my name is Mark Altman. I am the founder and president of Mindset Go, and people are asking me all the time what we do, and ultimately, our goal, our mission is to help people be more confident and effective communicators. And we see three ingredients to doing that. One is emotional intelligence. One is multi-generational intelligence, which is really bridging the gaps between the five generations in and out of the workplace. And the third is conversational intelligence. And conversational intelligence is really exhibiting the primary interpersonal skills you need to talk and use body language and use word choice and tone effectively when you communicate through different conversations, giving feedback, negotiating, and so on and so forth. So happy to be with you and looking forward to another show. And, you know, every week I really enjoy talking about different angles of communication. And this week we're going to talk about service. And I recently just came back from uh, doing a training for Hilton and Marriott. And, you know, in the hospitality, I find myself doing more and more work in the hospitality business, and I, I don't think that's an accident. I think it's a, I think service is really a concept that is really near and dear to my heart, and, I, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, it's, always, it's always been how people treat one another, and, and maybe that's it, because it's such a core value to how people treat one another and how I treat people and how I like to be treated. And so I think maybe it's those core values. And I know as I was growing up when I was a kid, um, the expectations of my parents around service were really high too. And I'm sure that had an influence as well. So I I wanted to talk about uh, an experience I had, two, two experiences I had in hotels that really stuck out to me that will set the table for the show. And one of them was a really simple one where this was several years ago where I was traveling And the TV didn't work when I got into the room at night. And let me tell you, after a long day of communicating, training, and coaching people, I like to just veg and watch TV. So there's not much I ask out of hotels, but when the TV doesn't work, that's a bummer. So I called down to the front desk. This was at about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. Called down to the front desk, and they said, sir, we'll have someone up to take a look at it. They did. The person fixed it in about five minutes. It was a very minor problem. So I was like, okay, great, thanks, he left, and that was it. But what made it uh, an interesting experience was that 10 minutes after the person left, I got a call from the front desk saying, Mr. Altman, is everything all set? And I said, yes. And they said, um, were you pleased with you know, how you were treated and you know, how the experience was? And they asked me two questions to really confirm that I was happy and satisfied. And there's a couple of keys to this story I want you to take away if you're, in, if you're in the sales or service space. Number one is there's this expression, this throwaway expression we use a lot in business, going the extra mile. And every time I hear that, I feel like, you know, again, like I say all the time, perception is everything. What going the extra mile means to one person could mean something totally different to the other. For example, 
these people, the, the guy that came to fix my TV, he, he was up in my room in probably no less than 10 minutes. And that's what they said they would do, and that's what it was. So I didn't really give any credit to it. A lot of people might have been like, wow, that was a really quick response time. To me, what the extra mile was in this case was they did a follow-up, not a survey, not an email survey for me to fill out saying, how was it? Were you satisfied? A phone call right after to make sure there were no lasting or remaining issues that the person who I dealt with did a good job communicating. That, to me, was going the extra mile. And frankly, I've never had that happen before or since at a hotel. And the second part that really stuck out to me is... I feel like when we're greeting people or interacting with people, we always have that throwaway line, how you doing? And I've joked on the past in the show that, you know, when, when people say, how you doing? Most of the time, I don't really think they care. I think it's an etiquette thing. I think they're supposed to ask. And so someone says, how you doing? You say, good. Hopefully you say, how are you? They say, good. We smile at each other and walk away. And it's fine. It doesn't do any harm. Like, no harm, no foul. It doesn't really feel like an authentic interaction, but no harm, no foul. But what, what makes it an authentic interaction, to me, is, is if there's a second question asked. So picture the most kind of ridiculous scenario. You're at the supermarket. You're, you're checking out with your food. You walk up to the cashier, and the cashier says, how you doing? And you say, good. And the cashier, instead of the normal banter that goes back and forth, the cashier says, well, that's good to hear. How come? How many people do that? And if that cashier said to you, boy, that's great to hear. How come? Would you be upset that they asked you a follow-up question? Would you be offended? No, you'd probably be surprised and appreciative that they actually seem to care. See, that to me is an example of going the extra mile. And that's how you take a basic mundane conversation that we have every day and turn it into something meaningful. So that hotel experience, that's an experience. That's going the extra mile. And so I often I often hear organizations when they're training and when I'm brought in to do training on service or sales or or, or, or culture or things like that, they'll talk about making a good first impression. And and look you're taught that ever since you're a kid. You know, everybody says to, you know, first impression, so important. And you know what's what's interesting about the concept of a first impression is that as, as social media uh, has taken such a stronghold over our society, now we find ourselves actually more talking, as much if not more talking about lasting impressions. I mean, how many times do you hear, you know, you're talking to a high school student or a college student and you say, listen, be careful what you put on social media because that trail doesn't go away. And people, companies or organizations or colleagues look back at your social media and that's their lasting impression of you. And, and in this case, first impression. So when I think of making a first impression and lasting impression, there's, there's really, it's actually not simple. And I know a lot of you out there might hear me say that and go, what do you mean it's not simple? Just be friendly, smile, and you make a good first impression. But one of the interesting things about making a, a, a first impression and a lasting impression is in networking. And often when you meet someone at a networking event, um, ultimately your goal is to make a good 
first impression and most certainly lasting impression. I mean, let's face it, in sales and networking, we're talked about all the time the importance of being memorable, right? Which I find interesting, right? Because I think it's very important to be memorable. But if I meet you, if I'm trying to sell you something and I make a sales presentation to you and I walk out of your office and a colleague walks in and says, how was that? And you said, eh, it was good. And they say, how come? There's that second question. How come? Why was it good? And your response was, geez, he, he's, a, he's a pretty friendly guy. And yeah, he, he likes sports just like I do. Or he likes to travel just like I do. That's important. But ultimately, the way you want to be memorable is being engaging and influential to the point where if it's a sales presentation, you want the gut reaction to be, I would do business with that guy. If it's a networking event and you're meeting with someone, you want the reaction to be, after they leave the networking event, Naughty had a great tie, Naughty loves sports like me, you want it to be, I would do business with that guy. So what am I getting at? What am I ultimately getting at here when I'm talking about first and lasting impressions and the responses that we would like to elicit from our communication in these sales and networking situations? It's trust. It's trust. And, and, and people are more inclined to say, I would do business with that guy or that woman if they trust you. If there's been an opportunity in that interaction for them to either start or begin to recognize why they should trust you. And so when I think of making first and lasting impressions, think about when that terminology is used. When, when it's spoken about why making a first and lasting impression, it's almost always used in the connotation of you need to influence another human being whether it be on a job interview, whether it be on in a networking scenario, whether it be in a sales scenario, maybe it's a college admissions interview, it doesn't matter. It's virtually always in an influence in a situation where you need to influence another human being. So to me, when I think about service and when I think about impressions, trust is a huge aspect of that. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to continue to talk about service and standards and how to use trust to your advantage as a tool for influence. This is Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll be back after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to the Mindset Go Radio Show. Uh, We're talking about some conversational intelligence scenarios when it comes to providing service and influencing other human beings. And, you know, before I move on to the power of words when it comes to service, and I preface my comment by the four key elements, uh, the four key ingredients to communication I always speak about are your word choice, uh, 
The second one is the tone. And when I say tone, I'm also talking about do you speak clearly? Do you speak loudly enough? Do you have the right tone? There's a lot of elements to the message that you're sending. The third is your nonverbal skills, and the fourth is your listening skills. So these are the four elements of communication. And I want to start, before I get into words being the powerful tools they are, I want to talk about the most simple concept, and that is the smile. And what's interesting about smiling is so many people, I walk around and I'm always paying attention to people's body language. And I'm telling you, if I kept track of every day the amount of people I interact with and noticed how many of them smiled and how many didn't, I would say, and these are, I have not kept track of these numbers, these are unofficial to say the least, I would say it's at least two-thirds of people that I observe are not smiling. And what's so important about that is smiling is the ultimate gateway to approachability. And so when it comes to making a first impression, dealing with the public, making a lasting impression, if you don't smile, if you are not mindful of catching yourself not smiling and reminding yourself to smile, you are are at a significant disadvantage when it comes to communication. Because if I'm interacting with someone who doesn't look happy and is not smiling, I'm really not inclined or motivated to communicate with them. Now, one of the points I make about smiling a lot is fair or unfair. Um, Perception's reality. You might be the most happy positive, good-natured person on the face of the earth, but you don't smile, I find that hard to believe because most people are that happy, positive, good-natured, do naturally and are frequently smiling. But for the sake of discussion, if you are that person, yes, it's unfair that people might make a snap judgment on your personality. You know, there's that concept of resting bitch face that, again, fair or unfair, people are making snap judgments all the time. We are in an era where there is no more attention span. Everybody has attention deficit disorder, so to speak. People are always racing to their next activity or task or item on their list, their never-ending to-do list. So the only hope is that we at least start the interaction off with a smile. And by the way, smiling can be taught. Smiling, it's a muscle It's a facial muscle. So just like going to the gym and exercising your other muscles, you can exercise your facial muscles. And frankly, for people who have this recognition and self-awareness and who want to be better about this, um, it's not too late. But it's important to recognize that if if you're not a natural smiler and you don't gravitate to that, then it's something that's going to take some time to teach those muscles and bodies, the elasticity to know how to do that. So, an important concept to think about. Now, I said words are powerful tools. So let's, when it comes to service, let's examine um, the, the, the word choice and words themselves. Now, one of the most important things when it comes to service and sales is, is reframing negatives to positives. Now, I want to 
I want to qualify this when I say this, because when I say reframing negatives to positives, I'm not talking about BS. I'm not talking about misrepresenting or not being authentic or genuine, because you can reframe a negative to a positive without BSing people. All right. Now I'll give you, I'll give I'm going to give you a handful of examples. So in the hospitality industry, let's take hotels, for example, Someone says, someone says, um, they want to know if, trying to think. So they want to know, they have a request, a specific request. And you, it doesn't matter what the request is. You hear the request and you know deep down in your heart that you probably can't do the request. Maybe there are other options. Maybe there aren't. But someone asks you something and you say, oh, geez, unfortunately, we can't do that. Now, I want you, as you're listening to the show today, listen to those five words. Unfortunately, we can't do that. All I heard when I hear something like that is unfortunately. And once I hear the word unfortunately... I know it's going to be terrible. And now I'm really disappointed, sad, frustrated, mad, combination of all of them. Unfortunately, is one of those words that goes in the category of but. Everything that comes after but is bad. Everything that comes after unfortunately is bad. Words are so important and in, in the power and influence of words can be very different in the spoken or written word. So, unfortunately, it's bad no matter what, but unfortunately, it's especially bad when it's written. Because if I see something in writing and I see a sentence starts with unfortunately, I'm totally preparing. So, I want you to think of what are your options? So, here you are in a situation of service and hospitality where someone has said to you, made a request, you know deep down, probably won't happen, can't happen, probably aren't don't even know if there's any other solutions. What are your options? You know what I would say to that person? And this is what I mean about reframing. I would say to that person, you know what? Uh, great question. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do that, but let me check. Let, let me look into something for a minute and get. And let me know if we can do it. Now, let's just assume, let's, let's take an extreme example. Let's assume there's about a 1% chance that you could actually come up with a solution for them. A lot of people, when I share this with them, they might say, well, Mark, that feels a little dishonest and disingenuous because if I know that it's unlikely I'm going to be able to solve this problem and I make it seem like I put them through this charade of, geez, it just doesn't sound very authentic. Well, let me tell you something. You have a choice. Life is about choices. The receiver of the communication that's encoding the communication with my reframing of great question, let me check into this for you, and I'll be right back, they feel heard. They actually feel like you made some kind of effort to hear them, to look into it, to care. And you know what? That's so much of what service is to me. It's it's caring. I want to feel like you care. And you know what? Just this, this, this afternoon, um, before I came to the radio station, um, I was... I was out somewhere, okay, in the supermarket, I went to their food section, and I wanted to order something for lunch. And when I ordered it, it was cold, 
And I asked them, do you have a microwave? And she, no, I didn't say that. I said, I said, are you able to warm this up for me? Thinking they got it's a kitchen. Like they got to have something back there. They could do that. And so she said, no, no, we don't. Sorry. We don't have anything to warm it up. So you know what I caught myself doing when she said no? I totally didn't acknowledge her. And I started looking above her to her entire back area to see if I could see a microwave or some kind of kitchen back there. So the inference there was, you don't, you don't, you're not trying to solve my problem. You don't care. You just don't think, hey, no, we don't do that. We don't warm food up. Well, I don't think we can do that. So because she conveyed such a feeling of indifference and caring, I didn't believe her. I actually thought she was lying. So I'm looking above to see if I could prove her wrong. And, and by the way, she wasn't lying. And she wasn't, I mean, she was friendly and she was smiling, so I don't want to give off the impression. What I want you to take away from this interaction is she didn't act like she cared. She didn't say, you know what, I wonder if there is a way we could warm up the food for you here. I mean, look, I'm not asking to use their break room. And I'm not asking, when I talk about finding a solution and caring enough to find a solution, you don't actually have to always have the solution. But you have to care enough to give, I don't know, 30 seconds of critical thinking because listen when people are told no right or wrong very often they don't feel heard very often they feel frustrated you know that expression don't shoot the messenger well guess what when you don't show you care or don't show any problem solving or critical thinking skills to even try to find a solution for me i feel like i want to shoot the messenger so reframing negatives to positive, when we come back from the break, I'm going to give you a few more examples and tools on how you can continue to provide service and to provide trust and build relationships by the power of your words. This is Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll be back after the break. Listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to the Mindset Go Radio Show. We're talking about today about service. We're talking today about how to use the power of words to show you care as a method of influence, uh, to build trust. Um, and and I think I think what's really important about the power of words, like I said in the last segment, is people just want to be heard. Consider your job. If I was training a service and sales team, your first job and foremost, even before solving problems, is to show you care and that you're willing to listen and you'll let people be heard. Now, one of my favorite anecdotes when I think of the power of words, is when I ask people for help, picture going into a store, a Best Buy, a Target, you know, a Nordstrom's, it doesn't matter. Picture, we've all been here. You're in a store, you can't find something, you need to ask questions about something, and what happens? You go find someone, 
And when you're finally able to find someone, you're like, hey, I have a question about such and such. And this is, if I was to tell you, this is my least favorite answer in service and the face of the earth, I would not be exaggerating. When I get the, oh, well, I think it's over there, or I think it's this, I literally want to jump off a bridge when I hear that. Because when you're asking someone for their knowledge and their expertise, and they say, I think it's this, does anybody, do any of my listeners, are you sitting there thinking, oh, okay, then I feel like I have the answer now. I think indicates you don't know. And in the service and sales world, think of, you know, a great example is when you're making a sales presentation. I've worked with so many salespeople who are concerned and get frustrated when someone asks a question that you don't know how to answer. And you either don't know the answer or you don't know how to answer it effectively. And salespeople, they think that the choices they make is try to either ABS their way through it or try to avoid the question, or try to distract, or something along the like. And see, to me, when someone says, ask you a question you don't know the answer to, my answer is, gee, you know, that's a great question. Um, I haven't been asked that before. Let me check on that, and I'll make sure to get back to you. And I think people have a lot of respect for that. I think there's this perception that human beings in general expect what the word expert The word trusted expert, what a standard we set for that. Does the word expert mean you know everything about everything? See, that's not what I think it means. How can we balance the concept of knowledge being power, having the core value to learn and grow and be better human beings personally and professionally every day? How can we do both? but also feel like we have to be an expert and already know everything. Those two concepts don't really jive. And so, see, to me, being an expert doesn't mean you have to know everything. I mean, I feel like when I, all the studying and work I've done in emotional and multi-generational intelligence, I bet if you were to get this master list of everything you bet need to know, I bet I only know half, maybe two-thirds. There's so much to know on topics, on industries, on concepts. Learning is so broad. And so I think the first standard is don't feel like you have to know everything. And don't feel like if you're vulnerable and you acknowledge you don't know something, that that's a strike against you. Now, if you don't know three to five things, well, maybe that's a different story. But see, even then, If you have an experience in sales or service where you have the self-awareness and uncover that you're getting asked a lot of questions you don't know, you can either hope you don't ever ask those questions again, or you can go back to peers, to bosses, to colleagues, and say, man, I need some work on this because I feel like I don't know enough. How many people do that? How many people listening to this show have had a peer walk up to you and say, boy, you know what, I've been doing some self-reflection, and I've been getting some feedback from others. I don't feel like I know as much much about this as I should. Could you help me? Think about that exchange. This is what I mean about conversation intelligence. Think about the courage and confidence and trust it would take another human being to acknowledge they need some support and help in a certain area. And by the way, to me, 
That is emotional intelligence at its best because if you, this is what you did there. You hit the mother load, right? Number one, you were actually self-aware enough to say, yeah, I, I need some help. I don't know enough. Two, you acted on it, right, and became vulnerable. And three, you would have earned someone's trust because if you feel that confident in your performance, your self-esteem, and who you are, where you can be vulnerable and admit those weaknesses and shortcomings, that's as good as it gets. So, the person says to me, I think it's over there, or I think the right answer is this. And so my response is, and I might be being a jerk, and I acknowledge that, my response is, well, you think or you know. And then nine times out of ten, yeah, I'm not really sure. Now, see, what's funny about human beings and communication to me is it is so obvious that when I say, do you think or you know, and they say, yeah, I guess I'm not 100% sure, isn't it just so blatantly obvious that the next step in that conversation is, you know what, let me find someone who can help you. Let Let me find someone who does know, who is an expert on this. And you know something? It, it, it happens half the time. Because I, I, I assure you, I wouldn't be sharing this anecdote with you. I wouldn't be sharing this eternal frustration in service I've had if I hadn't had enough people not do that follow-up question. right? And it's so obvious, but it's just not consistently done. So what am I saying? You know, we're back to word choice care. If you don't know, you know what might have to happen? Instead of saying, I think, you might have to walk three aisles to find someone. You know? And remember the story I said in the first segment today about the hotel where they fixed the TV and then they called me afterwards. Can you imagine being in a retail environment? Think about this for a moment. Can you imagine being in a retail environment? The person says, oh, you know what, um, you, you need to go talk to someone in aisle seven. Um, they can help you, okay? As opposed to walking me over to aisle seven to make sure someone is there to help me. As opposed to sending me over to aisle seven, and can you imagine that person seeking me out later in the store and saying, by the way, did you get everything taken care of? Tell me you wouldn't be floored. Tell me the amount of times you've been walked over to aisle seven, four, three, four aisles over, as opposed to, oh, it's over in aisle seven. The amount of times that someone actually checks on after the fact to make sure your problem was solved. You know, I notice in Trader Joe's, one of the things Trader Joe's does every time you go to the register is they say, have you found everything that you're looking for? That's, that's caring to me. That's interesting. Because most people, if they haven't found what they're looking for, they're probably not going to remember to ask, or they're probably not going to even want to ask, because they're already at the register, right? So when you when, when Trader Joe says, have you found everything you're looking for? And by the way, for the skeptics out there, you might argue and say, well, that's kind of self-serving, because they're probably trying to sell you some more stuff. Maybe. That's okay. As I've talked about in previous shows, you can be agenda-driven and still get credit for it, Right? There's not some morals police standing by saying, if I'm trying to do something correctly or nicely or communicate effectively, if it helps me personally, I lose credit for it. So 
I think this is really an important concept. Going the extra mile, going three aisles over, following up to make sure everything was taken care of. And if you don't know, find out the answer. Make the effort to find someone who does know. Show the person you care. Don't be afraid to tell people you don't know as long as you're willing to get them the answer and find out what the answer is. Because ultimately, customer experience, they just need the answer. They don't care where the answer comes from. They don't care who gives it to them. They just want to feel like they were attended to, helped, supported, guided, educated. Okay, we have one final segment coming up. This has been Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll continue to talk about service and going the extra mile, and we'll be back after the break. I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, we're back for the final segment for the Mindset Go Radio Show. And want to tackle next challenge, right, is we continue to talk is it's our policy. So I want you to think about when someone said that to you over the course of their life, when you're communicating with someone and they ask you a question, they say, oh, unfortunately, it's our, there's that word unfortunately again, by the way, unfortunately, it's our policy. We can't do that. Have you ever been told that when you've asked someone for something and they've said, it's our policy, has that ever made you feel better? Has anybody, can anybody call the show or email me? And say, oh yeah, you know, when people say it's policy, I feel much better. doesn't make you feel better. Because it's our policy is not an answer. You have a rule and I need to follow it, but I'm inconvenienced or I'm not happy or I'm not getting what I want. So we're back to reframing again. What's something different? How can you reframe it's our policy from a negative to a positive? And what I want to make sure you understand is... Part of reframing in communication, being an effective and confident communicator, part of reframing is it doesn't always have to be a negative to a positive. It can also be a negative to neutral. Neutral is better than negative. At least you detach them from their emotions if it's a neutral. It's like a 1 to 10. If they're frustrated or if they're disappointed and they're going to end up as a 2 or a 3 or a 4, you might not have to get them to an 8, but can you at least get them to a 5? On the disappointment scale? So here's here's what you do. If someone says it's our po- if someone asks you for something, instead of saying it's our policy, there's a few things you can do. You can say, you know what, we typically don't allow that because you can give people the why. Now, last week's show I talked about the importance of the why, and here we are back again. If you tell someone I don't care if it's your 10-year-old child. I don't care if it's a customer. I don't care if it's an employee who works for you. When you say you can't do something, it is so powerful to explain people the reason and rationale behind it. Now, I'm not, nothing, everything's situational, right? This is, 
it's important to understand that I'm not saying that once you explain me the why or the rationale or the methodology behind the rule or the policy, that I'm automatically going to feel better. But at least maybe I can, I can visualize and connect with you on it, you know? So I'll give you a great example. Um, a lot of times hotels that have jacuzzis, you know, they'll close out at 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, they can say, you know, I can say, oh, you know, I was hoping to go in the jacuzzi. Oh, unfortunately, we close it at 10 o'clock at night. Now I'm, now I'm annoyed because I don't really understand why you're closing it. Like, shouldn't that be 24 hours? But then instead of saying, here's what I mean by reframing. Instead of saying, oh, unfortunately, it's closed at 10 o'clock. They say, yeah, you know what? We actually close it at 10 because we have a lot of people that are staying in rooms that are actually within earshot of the jacuzzi. So we just don't want to disturb our guests. And that's why we close it a little bit earlier. Do you see the difference? And, and when it comes to service, right, it, explaining the rationale and why, that's a big difference. So you go from it's our policy to explaining the why and the rationale so maybe I can understand or at least see your side or your perspective. That's reframing. An explanation instead of just a no is reframing. Now, for today's show, and so much in talking about the extra mile, I'm going to end with probably the other major killer in in word choice around service and influence and showing you care. And boy, I'll tell you, we are living in a society where we're constantly talking about the word, and we should be, by the way, we're talking about the word empower and the importance of empowering other human beings, Right? So we're talking about empowering other human beings. And I think to myself, well, how do you empower other human beings? Give them the control, the independence, the autonomy, set them up to be empowered. And that's a whole other show. So I'm not going to get any deeper into that today, but we're trying to empower people. Let me give you the least empowering expression you can give in service and sales. You ready for this? Oh, unfortunately, that's out of my control. It's not my decision. I don't make the rules. I don't set the prices. There's nothing we can really do about that. Now, if you say to me, it's out of your control, the first thing that goes to my head is, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You can't solve my problem. You are telling me, that you have no, and and I'm being a little harsh intentionally to make a point, that you have no critical thinking skills, that you, your rationale is, you know what, out of my control. I don't have the ability to think outside the box. I don't have the ability to think of a solution. I'm not going to ask my manager if he or she has any other ideas to solve this problem. I'm just going to follow the company line. and, And I'm sorry to say this, but be robotic. And by the way, what's even worse than being robotic is being helpless. And you, you, are, you are not the least bit empowered when you make a statement that it's out of my control or it's not my decision. And it really ends my willingness and wanting to have a conversation with you. And how many of us have been in interactions, communication, where we get frustrated and say, I need to speak to your manager. Well, guess what? 
I will tell you from the, all the training I've done in service, I will tell you that at least a third to 50% of the time when people are escalating to a point where they could need to speak to a manager, it never needed to get there. A manager never needed to get involved because the two primary reasons you need to see a manager is because you're not getting your own way, which by the way, probably it may have nothing to do with you. You could be you could be reframing in an effective way. You could be caring. You could be demonstrating and modeling value. You could be communicating with our four core ingredients. You could be doing all those things. But the person just wants to escalate because you're not giving in. They insist on getting your own way. That's out of your control. Okay? But here's the other reason. The other reason is because the person has no confidence that you will solve their problem. Why do they have no confidence? Because you're either throwing the company under the bus, your boss under the bus, not offering critical thinking skills, not having any outside-the-box problem-solving. So I don't even want to try to have you solve my problem because you've demonstrated you don't really care or don't have the skill set to do so. And that's the part of escalation to me that is totally fixable. And so... The second you tell someone you don't have the capability or skill set or knowledge to help them, to solve their problem, to educate them more, if you're saying that to them, it better be because you've maxed out the communication approach, the critical thinking and problem solving you've done So you really can't offer anything else because anything less than that is unacceptable. You know, I've done shows in the past on being high maintenance and low maintenance. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, that person who stands in a restaurant or in a store or in a hotel or some kind of service environment and is annoyed and frustrated, you know, guess what? They may have a right to be, you know? And unfortunately with communication, if you're the kind of person that doesn't communicate your frustration in a respectful, kind, and emotionally intelligent way, unfortunately, you're probably not going to be heard and your efforts and goals are going to be derailed. But I think think when we're on the service side, there's a tendency to label people and stop recognizing that, hey, these people might have a right to be disappointed. They're not necessarily, not necessarily right in how they're communicating their disappointment, but maybe they do have a right. And so what can I do to make them feel better? You know, what extra steps can I take to think about problems and not say, no, right away, I can't help you, and not say, I think, and not say, it's our policy, and not say, it's out of my control. We've got to be better. In the sales and service realm, we've got to be better. We've got to educate people. We've got to show them they care. And what you have to remember is that you are always in a position to engage people, empower people, and influence people. And I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're a high school student that's a cashier in the supermarket. You're the spokesperson for that company. The interactions that you have with them could guide their willingness to do business with that supermarket in the future. It matters. 
So I thank you all for joining me for another edition of the Mindset Go radio show. For more information on how Mindset Go could do training or consulting or uh, being a keynote speaker for your company, please reach out, info at mindsetgo.com, 978-206-1535. I'm Mark Altman, and thank you again for joining us for another edition of the Mindset Go radio show. Have a great week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.